Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. It's time for a very special episode. It's a pleasure to say that I'm joined by the former owner of Newcastle United, Sir John Hall. We've travelled up to his wonderful home. It's lovely and sunny outside and we're going to talk about some happier times at Newcastle United. Um, I'm also joined by Gibbo, obviously the journalist who's worked for the Chronicle Live for many, many years and was part of the Magpie group, which uh, John headed to take over Newcastle United. Thank you very much, John, for allowing us into your home to talk about Newcastle. Um, And I guess that's where we're going to start, is when someone approached you to say, will you take over Newcastle United? Well, I was building the metal centre and we had second-hand porter cabins on site. And uh, I knew Dixie, Malcolm Dix, Dix, for years. And I knew Malcolm had fought the old board trying to democratise the board. And I'm just one of those uh, supporters then. I mean, I stood on the terraces of the old popular side. Yeah. My mother was just planks of wood and dirt. Opposite the Melbourne Stadium. That's right. And my dad used to take me. We lived from Ashington. We used to come up every match. And uh, we used to stand there and sack the board. You know, looking across (laughs) there, never thinking that one day I would have the board. Uh, so I'm always I'm a Newcastle fan. You're, you're born in the tribe when, I, when you're brought here, um, and I was building the metal centre. Had a bit of publicity, etc. Um, Markham Dix came to see me one day with some of the lads that were his original Magpie group, you might say. Yeah. John Woff and Alan Rooney and them. Peter Ratcliffe. Uh, Peter and, him, and said, "Would you got to help us?" And I said. I'm not interested, you know, I'm, I'm building a metal centre, I'm making some money, I don't want to put my money into a football club that's, you know, going nowhere. And uh, they persisted and persisted and persisted coming up to see me. And I just said, no, I'm, I'm really not interested. But reached a point one day, and it's funny this, um, the, we had a, 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 a the sent Bob Cass, Mm-hmm. who was the mail on Sunday. Bob knew them all. Yeah. And as a last resort, they sent Bob Cass up to see me. And I always remember it was a Friday afternoon, lit, and it had been tippling down all week. And things hadn't gone right with the building work, etc. And, you know, you're sort of sitting there gloomy, etc. And Bob Cass came in with a bottle of whiskey. And, and, put his, on... jokes. <laughs> and his jokes. And his jokes. And he said to me, you've got to do something. I said, Bob, go away. He stayed that afternoon, we drank the bottle of whiskey. And I think basically I would have been a bit maudling, you know. And I said, okay, Bob, I hear what you say. I'll put half, 500,000, half a million on the table, but I think we need two million to challenge the board. We've got to find another three donors on Newcastle businessmen yeah. who'll join me because I don't, I don't want to own the club. And, no, I, and I you say, just wanted to change it. And I tell my family, the epitaph on my grave, I'm getting closer because I'm 86 now, <laughs> is going to say he never really wanted to own Newcastle United. <laughs> and You wanted to give it to fans. It was, a fan, it was a fans club. And basically, that's what we did. And he says, OK, he carried a story on the mail on Sunday, helped me save Newcastle, something like that. And we got another three people to come in mm. and pledge the money. And then what I said to them was, look, if we're going to have a campaign, it cannot be carried by a London newspaper because you're only once a week newspaper. So I've got to find the local press. So that's when I, you came at the scene and I came to see you. That's right. That's right. Because you, you felt you needed somebody that would stand shoulder to shoulder with you, which was a very dangerous thing for you to take it on, but a very dangerous thing for a newspaper oh, job. It was. Because it was. Um, the board made it quite plain that if we hadn't succeeded, 
we would never have been welcomed yep. within the club again. The fans don't really realise in a sense the six, well, the change in the status of the board, etc., would only happen because of you coming in and backing the Mac Bag, myself and the Mac Bag, which campaign. And um, remember Graham Stanton? Yeah, you, right. you I came to see me, the the and time. you said I had to go and see the editor. So you went and see Graham, and Graham backed it. And from then on, we formed the Magpie Group, and I uh, said there was two million on the table from four donors, local lads, in effect. And we used to have our meetings at Winyard Hall. Remember those? Very much so. Very much so. I remember early on a member of the board phoning me on the Chronicle desk, John, and saying. Once I'd shown my colours in the paper by carrying the first couple of articles and saying to me, you do realise that when you when this all fails, that you will never be allowed in St James's Park again. And uh, being full of bravado while quaking in my shoes, I replied, and you do realise that when you lose, <laughs> you'll not be inside St James's again. But I don't think I did, and I presume you didn't, John, realise it was a two-year fight oh, no, and realise how tough uh, it was going to be and how it could uh, dissolve into into a, a real, real scrap. And not for one moment. I thought basically the board would accept the offer of, of, yeah. of, of the thing and actually put the shares on the market for the fans to come in and buy and become basically part owner of Newcastle United. It was a one opportunity yes. that they had. Yeah, and the the big difference for listeners, young listeners today, John, listening, is that in those days, we're talking about the late 80s, mm-hmm. and it was 90 by the time you took over, in those days, Newcastle United were owned by 101 yeah. um, shareholders, yeah, basically where lo- now there, there's one owner, yeah. and that's it. it. It was basically local families. Yes. And, and I suppose, if you look back on history in terms of football, soccer was started by lots of the old businessmen and firms to take the, I suppose, the workers' minds off revolution to give them something to do. And so the clubs were set up locally and they all were centred on the town and Newcastle. The businessmen set it up and that they put the cash in and Newcastle had its success and for years to come until it reached the point where in actual fact it couldn't compete in the marketplace anymore because many you know, companies build a business like myself. You make money. You invested, but you don't know how your families are going to work it. So in a few years, 50 years time, they might have spent it. Yes. So the reason you might be a shareholder in a company with no money. Yes. And then since that was Newcastle's scenario, that they didn't have enough cash to invest or didn't want to. If you'd known how tough it was going to be, and at times how nasty it would get, John, hindsight's a wonderful thing, would you still no. have done it? No, 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 I didn't want I just basically, I came in, I thought I was helping Malcolm. Malcolm and them would take it over. I, I, I just basically, I had, I was too busy. But in effect, I'm a businessman. And when we got to the point where we had to take it over, I had to make it work. But um, so we, you, you carried the campaign. Remember, we should go around. The one thing we did was we had to get the fans on our side. Yes. We travelled on all the pubs and the clubs and the, and, and the whole Northumberland and North Durham. Oh, uh, I remember just said, the rainy nights in Ashington and oh, a social club. 300 there, 300 there. And, yeah, uh, and getting up on stage and tub thumping, basically. Fight the revolution. Yes. <laughs> How are you, lads? How are you? And, but we've got, you recruited some very, very good people. I'm thinking of people like Freddie Fletcher that oh, come down and join the fight. Yeah, well, what, when we did, we, the brewery, Newcastle Brewery have always been in the past when they were 
very good friends of Newcastle United. Absolutely, where they were main sponsors. Main sponsors, they put cash in, etc. In for the old board. But in effect, when we started to take over, and the, 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 the Alistair Wilson, he's not loud now, but, and David Stevenson then yeah. said, we'll help you. And they were basically very, very good sitting. This is what you've got to do, etc., etc. And um, you kind of thank him enough, but the brewery was a stalwart in making the change. We had those meetings at Winyard, and these four people put, another three put the cash up, and we went to the board, remember? Yeah. And we said to them, here's some cash. Well, you know, will you put shares on the market? And the board agreed, because under pressure, the board agreed to put a million pounds worth of shares. And I've got the documents today of the float, the share. All right. Um, and it was my greatest disappointment, one of them. The fans didn't take them up. No, they didn't. I know they didn't. And I, I walked into the boardroom and the last one of the directors laughed at me and said, ha, 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 ha look what's happened. And basically... Because they thought it would be all over and we'd go away. Did, but, and I nearly did, but we had... I can't remember the total, the sort of how it happened, but I'd reached the point with... The old Magpie group, Malcolm and them, knew every shareholder, knew whether... Because Malcolm was a shareholder himself, Yeah, course. he was. And they all, they'd fought the battle before, so they'd been to see them all before. Shall. So they said, we're going to make a takeover. So, we'll, so I said, OK. And I said to Douglas, my son, how much is it going to take? I don't know, 10 million or whatever. I said, well, put 10 million on the table and say, there you are for shares. Go out, lads, and you get the shares. And the Magpie group just, shoom, into the night. On everywhere, literally all over the country, uh, and outside, I think, somewhat. Uh, yeah, and they came back, and they got people to sell the shares, the shareholders to me, one by one, really. Yep, shareholders. It was. And eventually, we got a thing to probably eighty percent. I think the main breakthrough, John, came when you you got people like George Dixon, who did George and Ron McKenzie, who were members of the board. I think Dixon was the largest shareholder. He was. He was Once. nice lad. Nice yep, lad. Absolutely. He realised in a sense that. The realisation came over that they couldn't carry the club on. Yeah. And we put the pressure on them so they realised it had to stay because they'd have to find money to put in. I think the, the big breakthrough we had to get, or you had to get, John, was that you had to get a major, major shareholder to break ranks. We did. And once you split them, you had a real chance. Yeah. And the first one was, was George Dixon, who yep. broke ranks and sold to the Magpie Group. We did. And then everybody was on thin ice. Other shareholders were encouraged to rank and file to say, let's go with it. You came to the point when said, they realised people were selling out to us that we're never going to realise selling the shares again. They were, oh. tra they were trapped in Newcastle United with little value. Yeah, and all of a sudden they were, get, they were getting very good offers for the shares, very good offers. I think we got to 80%. Yes. Or 60%, 70%. And they had to put me on the board with that shareholder because I was by then the largest individual shareholder in Newcastle United. No, it was 40%. 40%. Yeah, it was 40%. 40 it was a breakthrough. And we break. got 40%. 51 to own That's right. No, 40%. Yeah. That's right. And um, I was on the board. And Douglas and I and were brought Freddie Shepard on board. Freddie had some shares and he stayed with us. Yeah. So there was the three of us, myself, Douglas, my son, and Freddie Shepard. Fought yes. together, and the brewery end said he needs some help. There's a chap leaving Rangers now. He used to be chief executive. <laughs> yes, Fletcher, the yes. Rod, the Rod Fletcher, nicknamed the Rock That's right. Yeah, and um, he came down, and we said, "If we take over, will you be chief executive?" Yes, yes, yes. And he knew football. Yeah, he'd been involved with Greenwich Morton, I think, in, up in Rangers, Scotland, and then Rangers. Yes. 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 
Yeah. But when basically um, I went onto the board, I remember Jim Smith was manager. Yes, he was the board leader. And he, I walked in the first meeting, and he walked out. I'm not sitting with these people here. On this thing, because it stopped him buying the player. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And um, but it was just the time I was going to go on ho- holiday with my wife. Ah, I remember this. I know what you're And to say. we, it was Thomas Cooks. Oh, the, the founder is 150 years since the death of the founder, Thomas Cook. Right. And they had a special trip around the world for 80 millionaires. Ah, and was this it, the Alan Wicker thing? That's right. It's yeah. record, etc. So 21,500 had cost a ticket each, which was from wife and I. It was the first Hollywood How had. could you afford it? I haven't bought Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> so we went on this trip around the world, and I left Douglas and Freddie on the board. Yeah. And the flip the club, yeah, which you had no, control no, no, at 40%. And I got to Hong Kong, Repulse Bay, remember it vividly. Yeah. I was sitting having a meal at night, 11 o'clock at night, and a fella came around and went, Mr. Hall here. Who knows I'm here? Words of like. Yeah. And it was Douglas and Freddie on the phone, because it was afternoon in England. Of course. So what do you want? And I wasn't very happy. What the hell do you want? I said, you know, well, um, the club's going bust. <laughs> Divin be so daft, I said. Newcastle United going bust. I've just <laughs> left you. I've yeah. just left you. How can I go bust in a week? It's halfway through. I'm telling you. And I was on the phone for 40 minutes. And I think it cost me about £685,000. <laughs> That's the money you had to put in immediately <laughs> to save the club. We did. And I didn't know the full story. But when I got back, the first thing I did was sat. What's going on? And they explained to me what happened was that the old board which was on it, had an overdraft from Barclays Bank of a million pounds. Right. But that was only for the running of the club, not to buy any players. The day-to-day running of the club. They went out and bought a player. And so Barclays Bank pulled the plug and said, fund yourself. So the club was going bankrupt. They had no money. I remember remember Douglas telling me that when he he said, our phone died and said, and dad said, well, I'll be back home in a fortnight. Can't it wait for a fortnight? And Douglas says, I can't wait for two weeks. You've got two hours yeah. to decide whether you're going to put the money in or not. And you put it in from Hong Kong, didn't I you? I did. And then we sort of we put our share in and that relieved the club. So when I came back and I found out what had happened, I wondered how people could be so stupid, you know, to put themselves in that situation. So I'm a businessman. I didn't want to own the club. But I was in a position, I'm the biggest shareholder in the club. I was never going to get, I was going to have to get control to make the changes. You had to protect your holding, of course, didn't you? So that's when we basically brought the Magpie Group on board and yourselves, the Chronicle and the Journal. And we went around all the talkings and we went and uh, the lads would have to buy the shares. Eventually we got full control. Uh, the interesting thing when you got, by the time you got full control, I remember the interesting thing because all the fans will inevitably think of the bringing in of Keegan and the transformation of Newcastle from the verge of the old third division to Premier League runners-up. But the big thing was that the guy running it by then, the manager I'm talking about, John, because uh, the ball eagle had gone was Ozzy. Ozzy, how are them? And uh, hello there, how you doing? That hype, uh, lovely fellow. I was going to uh, say, lovely who man. You loved. Oh, it's lovely. But Ozzy. he had to get peddled, of course, for the future of the club. Well, well, that's a funny story there. We, we, we remember we were winning games, sort of seven six and losing them ten nine. 
Yeah, it, it, it was that sort of team. We you put a lot of kids in. I and know. We got beat by tennis scores. And we had to basically, and and the brewery said to us, "We need a manager," you know. From, and um, again, the brewery came and said, "Look, Alistair Wilson, Kevin Keegan wants to come back. Oh, he's living in Spain. He's been there for six years. And I think he got tired of playing golf, and Gene, his wife, wanted to come back to the northeast. So with all you know." We didn't know we didn't know much about football, but Fletcher was the guiding thing here, and we said we're going to get rid of Ozzy. So, so Fletcher, leave it to me, and he went down to Ozzy's house. That's why he was called Rottweiler, uh, of course. Early in the morning, knocked on the door, and Ozzy said, "Oh, come in, Freddie." He says, "You're sacked." Thank you, Freddie. Been expecting it. Aye, it, and he's it, never. It, the interesting thing, if I remember right, John, that um, when it was all set up and it depended on Keegan. And you had just been out for dinner with us. He was one of the most charming blokes oh, you could ever it, wish to it, meet. Lovely, lovely fellow. And therefore, while you knew it made business sense, you were, on a personal level, you were uncomfortable with it. Unfortunately, sometimes when you're running a business, and anybody out there listening to this who runs a business will know, and especially family businesses, there's got to be a one man to it. There has to be somebody pushing that business and has to make the decisions. The tough decisions. Or the ver- they're very tough. And and you know, if you're not in business, you won't realise that. They mean, oh, what an awful man. But companies have to survive by the owner making sometimes these very difficult decisions. If I can take you back to the appointment of Keegan, I remember um, that weekend you'd already been socially in London and the boys arranged for Keegan to come across to London to meet Newcastle United, yeah. and Douglas Shep and David Stevenson flew down Newcastle to London. You were already there, and uh, met at the Hilton Hotel, and I remember Douglas said to me, he, he was floored when he turned up because there was loads of television cameras there and everything, and he thought, oh, the story's got out about Keegan Newcastle United. But, you know, we need this like all in the head of this thing. But in fact, there was a variety club luncheon <laughs> that was on with a load of celebs coming yeah, to the hotel yeah. and they were there for that reason. Yep. But you met him in a private room. And the, what I thought was lovely, uh, if it's right, what Douglas and Shep said, was that KK actually was so keen to come. He paid for the room for the meeting in the, I in the Hilton. I can't remember that. That's right, very... Because the club was still in a, a flux financially, yeah. which be, oh, you would bail them out, of course. And, and then he also said he wanted Terry Mack to come as his number yeah. two and that he would be willing to pay his The bag man. <laughs> the the betty. He got all the bets. The gopher. <laughs> yes. He's a great fella, Terry. You've, oh. got to, you've got to have people like that within the club Absolute, to keep that absolutely. motivation up. So that, that last day of the season with Keegan in charge, facing Leicester. 6 0. No, no, no. The no, one, no, bef- the one before want, when. Save you. I mean, you must have been hiding behind your hands because Newcastle. You know, needed to win. They went one 0 up. Steve Walsh scored an equaliser in the last minute, and then you're thinking, "I'm I'm two minutes away from owning a, a second division club." And then third division, third division, sorry, goes down the other end, scores one of the most bizarre own goals I think we'll ever see in James's Park. Can you can you describe your feelings in that that moment when you? It's impossible to. You look back now, and it's memories, but it it's you never think about it. You think you you, you, you never. I'm a bad one for watching a match in terms of basically when we're winning it's fine when we're losing I've got to turn away sometimes and it was a horrendous moment you know you bought them you think what, so close to the what, are the, what are the circumstances but it didn't happen and we stayed up and then we started to build and you know the story very quickly very very quickly and Keegan came in 
And the one thing about Kevin when he came in, he'd been out of the game for six years, but he must have continued his interest when he was playing golf. He knew where all the players were, he knew the game, he knew everything about the game. It just as if he'd never been away. Mm. And so when he came to us, he knew where he had to buy the players. He knew the ones he wanted. And I just look back now and it would be, and it was, I didn't understand much about running a football club. Fletcher was the fellow, but we just let it happen. All of us, in a sense, were novices mm. in football, businessmen, but football was something different because what I learned in the years to come was it's not really my football club or, or it belongs to the fans out there. They, many of them, live their lives through that football club and that's a great concern, yeah, but it was the fact that Newcastle United had played such an important part in people's lives. They knew more about the club than I will ever know, but that's the great strength of it. I mean, the interesting thing from my point of view, John, was that you, you and Kevin went through a period when you went straight away and you won the, you won the title to go up into the, into the Premier League, and then we know where that ended, two successive winners up. But we beat the club record by about once a month. Yeah. About once a month at one time until it went all the way up to well, a world record. Well, you could, if you got it going, you had to push the cash in. Had to, we just let it roll. And at one of those things, we could have been very hesitant. But when he came over, we were all just what you listen, enthusiastic novices, apart from Keegan. But even him, he played the oh. football, which was never been played by other teams. Yes, that's and right. We became everybody's second team. And it was but wonderful going, you know. You, this, uh, to me, in a sense, when I look back, I, I always loved that 5 0 drumming of, of Man United. Oh, that right. was. Didn't we all? Uh, Didn't uh, we that, all that, that stays in my memory. But we've had so many great nights. And Kevin was the motivator. So one thing he could do, he could motivate players and they would do anything for him. He had a knack which many managers don't have and they just adored him. That season that you were promoted to the Premier League, did you expect it to gel? So quickly no, because it flew out the traps. But that, that was Kevin. That was Kevin and, 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 and Terry McLean away. But we all did. We were a, a family. We, we, we did at Winyard at Christmas time and something like that. We took the, the rugby, the football down to Winyard and we had family gatherings. So we weren't separate. The players and you know, everyone. There wasn't many, many ways. The likes of myself and Douglas and Freddie were just northeastern lads, you know, from a pit village. Yeah. So in effect, we'd been brought up in the past on Newcastle United, when we weren't sort of sitting there, we didn't have silver spoons on our mouths. We had to work very, very hard for everything we've got, but we never lost. We're always Newcastle fans. And as I remember, sack the ball, sack when we stood on the terraces. And what that took me when I was eight. You never forget these times. That's, that's become a member of Newcastle United tribe. Each football club has it, but ours is Newcastle. And and I don't know what it is, whether it's our Broughton's up, in a sense, that our, our working class backgrounds, but that, is that intense loyalty, mm. which, you know, epitomises all the fans. If I remember, when we won, when we clinched promotion, uh, was at Grimsby to oh, go up in the Premier League, and I want to take you back to that, because that was a trip. 2-0. Where, yeah, yeah, and uh, we then came home and beat Leicester, but we'll get to that in a minute. But at Grimsby, I think you had a tail meeting well, the fans when <laughs> you were going down there. This, this is a story <clears throat> which I laugh at today. <clears throat> I had the Bentley then. I used to drive myself. Never had a driver because I've always just, you know, want to get on myself. It costs money having a driver, you know. It wasn't <laughs> so my wife and I came and got in the car and we drove down A1 along the M62 and it was an evening match 
and we got to the end of the M62, uh, and May said, I need a smoke. I said, well, I'll have a coffee with you. And there was a little chef at the end of the M60. I think it's still there. We stopped. We went in. She had a smoke, and I had my coffee. We came out, just getting under the car, <clears throat> and a battered old Ford Transit van pulled across beside the hedge. I mean, it was really bad, you know, you can imagine. Yeah, rough old That's about 50 years old. You know, the, the back doors opened, and about 15 of them, when your castle shirt's on, ran to the hedge and started to have a runoff. And I'm standing with my wife, and I shouted, give me the number of your season tickets. <laughs> Startle looks. All, it's the, the something chairman. And they all ran back at the van. Some of them hadn't finished what they were doing. <laughs> so a minute later, they all came out <clears throat> and basically stood in front of us and apologised and told the story that crates of brown ale, but no service station would let them stop. So ah. they'd, they'd reached the point where they couldn't go in anymore. So I said, I'll tell you now, I'll not forget you a lot, and I lose your tickets. I'll not forget you. And my wife's standing there, she says, and I won't forget you either, but it won't be by your faces. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, some of them still come. So we've had some fun, some job, but it just, it's a, it'd be, happy, it, was, happy days. it was a wonderful time in my life. When we, when we beat Leicester, six, 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 uh, six by half times, <laughs> yeah. seven, one, or whatever, yeah. the final, I remember you so delighted walking around with a bottle, uh, Pouring a drink out for everybody in the boxes upstairs and actually going on the television gantry. We did. I did. Giving, giving, I did. Giving the cameraman a drink. I did. I, I was so. I mean, we just. Unbelievable. Bang, 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 bang. And we were promoted <clears throat> and we'd gone from nothingness into the Premier yeah. League. The foot, and it was just a big change and we had to adapt to that. How proud of that moment, you know, that, that day of seeing the title getting lifted there to James Park, getting promoted to the Premier League. How proud of, as a Newcastle fan and as an owner, were you with that day? Oh, I relive it, I relive it all the time. But you can't live in the past. Yes. <clears throat> You've got to move on. <clears throat> but as you get older, <clears throat> excuse me, you have these memories. And that, to me, was one of the defining moments in my life, in football terms. Mm, definitely. I just want to talk about Kevin Keegan and his kind of, he was a very, he's a very emotional man and he's you know he likes to make decisions quite quickly and you say you're not a football man but when he said to you uh you know first of all I want to I want to sell uh, sell David Kelly just scored a hat-trick against Leicester on the final day and then later on he says I want to sell Andy Cole if you just got to trust your manager in that you instance you have to you have to basically and if you don't trust him he goes if he makes the mistakes because I know nothing about the game I don't know the tactics that's not me it's not my forte and it's no good me trying to be Kevin or a manager I'd fail utterly. So you, 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 I wouldn't have chosen a manager had I been able to do it. But you bring in managers and you've got to let them get on and you've got to watch them, et cetera, et cetera. You never know how your manager's going to basically... How he's going to do. You yeah. don't know for certain at all. N Nobody at does. All. And then there's so many failed young players. So when he came, we were lucky. We found him, Kevin, and he found us. I think we spent then about 60 million and um, to get there. And Kevin just... Great, and he, I mean, to me, the best buy we ever had was Rob Lee. I was going to ask you who, who was your favourite. For 10 years, he gave us... He, Value he, for money? Oh, undoubtedly so. £800,000, I think. Was it was. Yes, and, but, you know, those stars like Janola oh. for football, and Twinkle Toes, Beardsley. Tell us about him, because you, I, you had to get conned a little bit, or Kevin tried to, to complete <coughs> that signing. I didn't... I thought he was too old. Yes. And he'd been away, and the insistence did not give in... And for two years, Twinkle Toes gave us that brilliance that he had was a footballer. And I, I, th I was wrong there. So I learned the lesson to stay back 
uh, they let the manager have success or hang themselves. And then if they hang themselves, then you've got to try to change it, etc. That's what you're there for, pump the money in, etc., and, and to make the final decision. Because at the end of the day, there can only be one boss. And that sometimes managers think that's not the case. Yeah. And basically, they come in and go, they're on a contract, like players. But the people, in a sense, who have the power, the people that's on our law, are the shareholders. And you've got to hope that they're good enough to run a football club. I mean, a lot of people will look back on that time of the entertainers, John, and think, <coughs> you as chairman, um, yeah, yeah, rubber stamping these amazing deals up to a world record 15 million pounds yep. Shearer, and Keegan is the manager who spotted these great players and then handled them so brilliant was was a, a partnership made in heaven and to a great extent it was but equally because Kevin and he's the first to say it himself was a very headstrong sort of guy mm. it, it can be difficult oh. to handle <coughs> it causes tension Yes, of course. And I'm going to say everything was right between us. There were times of tension between us. And, um, you know, I gave him my... Passionate sol- people. I, I, I sold him a lot of land that went about 50 acres where he built his stables on, etc. So we lived close together. And there were times, in effect, when the pressures came on both of us, and you've got to learn to live. It wasn't easy at times. But at the end of the day, he, as far as the football club goes, at the time we was there, he he motivated those players. He allowed them to play their football, and that football will always live in our memories as a, a wonderful time. They can never take that away. I think the thing that probably changed the history of Newcastle, or didn't, was just not getting that title when we were 12 points <coughs> ahead. That, we wanted Kevin, we started the league goals, and the board said to Kevin, buy a centre-half. And that was the one thing I said, I regretted it. He wouldn't buy it. He said, I'll do it my way, which is fine. And we didn't close the gap. Had we closed the gap, then basically I think we would have won. The club would have been quite different. Had we, had we won the Premier League, it would have given yeah, us a, a status in a sense. Because you've got to bring players to you. When you've got a good manager, that's fine. But remember, Newcastle's at the end of a railway line. You know, we're miles from anywhere. And sort of, you've got to get people... We're not London or Manchester no, or Birmingham. No, no, we're not basically the big capital cities. And you've got to get people to the north. And this is one of the big differences why down south is much easier. So, but came, they came for Kevin. And uh, in his, his own way, was just absolutely brilliant. He I, I, he could motivate players so in a way which I used to stand there in utter amazement, put the, his hand on the shoulder if they're feeling down, say, come on, that's what I've got to do. And but we were a family, and basically, I used to go down to the dressing room before the matches and say, "Come on, lads, just to let them see I was there." That yeah. they weren't. I said, and that was a great thing. Everybody mixed in together. You used to invite them down to win you. All, all the time. The players and their, and their wives and their kids. Dinners, etc. And their kids. Dinners, Christmas time, summer time, and it was that all in the rugby. Can you imagine? We had all the international players. You had the rugby, the rugby at the time. and the, and the basketball, and the, it was absolutely a fantastic time. But I was before my time, in a way, trying to form the sporting club. There was not the money in the rugby or the rest of it. Well, I mean, yes, without concentrating on the rugby, the fact is that when rugby went professional... We started it. You started it with Twigamola, the first million-pound rugby The rugby union never forgave me by actually buying a club. They wanted to control the game and make it regional rugby and not not individual games. And when I bought it, that stopped them. Other people came in and bought the rugby. We changed the nature of rugby. Just thinking of it, at the time, the big difference, I guess, you took over the, the Falcons and you took, you'd already taken over Newcastle United. Newcastle United almost 
got to the promised land, the runners up in the Premier League. The Falcons actually won their title, and they the did. only title they've won in their history yeah. was in that first season. We were at the cup final, well, weren't we? Cup final on the match next day. Cup was, final on the Saturday, the match on the Sunday at uh, Harlequins. That's right. The, was like the bunny crawlers. That's right. There. That was that was it was a fantastic time. Just, it, it, but the great thing about it in a sense that when you've got sport like that. It not only good for it's good for the region. For that, no, oh, people li- people were just basically enthusiastic about winning. We couldn't wait for the next match. Yeah, did you get the feeling when we lost the out on the title? You know, having had that twelve point lead, we lost out on the title. I mean, runner up was still absolutely magnificent. But I always felt a little bit of the heart went out of Kevin. Uh, and by the following Christmas on New Year, he'd mm. actually gone. Mm. I, I think. When he didn't win with all out attacking football and get the title, a little bit of the fire, yeah. and I think it went out of him for the rest of his career, to be truthful. Um, it was never, he was never, never quite the same again, John. I um, think you're right there. I just thought I've never really assessed it in that way, but you're quite right. So, all of us actually, not just Kevin, yeah, we built ourselves up and we didn't get it and we're second. I suppose would come to the end of that particular era. In yeah. band. and then where do we go next? And it's it's it, it, it's Kevin left, and then we had to start and basically rebuild again. And it it's not easy. The great shame I thought, John, and hindsight's always a wonderful thing. But the, and I know how close you you personally got to it. But if we'd got Bobby Robson to follow Kevin Keegan, we couldn't get him away from Barcelona. Well, that would have been. That's another story, which is interesting. Again, when did the man, the brewery said to us that the new Bobby, and it was again Alistair Wilson again, said that um, Bobby and Elsie, Elsie wants to come back from it, and he's ready to go. But no, it wasn't. It was Joe Melling of the Mail on Sunday. Yeah, I remember Joe. Yeah. Joe Melling said to us basically because he was a great pal of the club, him and Bob Cass, and he said um, Bobby doesn't realise this yet, but Barcelona. One Val Gal, Van Gal as a manager after Bobby. So yeah. Bobby was a two year contract, one year gone, and they thought another year Van Gal would come there. But actually, Van Gal left the club in the middle of Bobby's contract. Left his club, yes. Yeah. And so they were afraid of losing him. So they decided to bring him in straight away. But didn't tell Bobby they were going to push him upstairs. But Bob, but Joe Melling had heard this. So we flew out to see Bobby and Elsie, a lovely house they had in Barcelona. It was gorgeous. And lovely sunny day, I'm sitting in the garden. And he said, no, they'll not do that to him, not do that to him. I said, that's what's going to happen. And Elsie wanted to come back, so we did a deal with him. You know, quietly, I suppose, to tap them up. Yeah. And great, he said, yes, I'll come. And uh, they all left and I went back to the house we had then and my bear. And... I thought I was staying there. I thought I'd ring up on the Saturday night, I think, to say to make the arrangements for him to come over. And I could tell in his voice he changed his mind. He says, no, I cannot leave them, but we're wrong for me to leave them. An honourable man. I said, Fine, Bobby, that's okay. disappointing, etc. etc. And i I think in his heart he didn't believe they would do that too in Barcelona. A month later he was upstairs. He didn't come to us. No. Two years later he went to a Dutch team. But anyway, um, they, they brought Van Gaal in and they pushed him upstairs. 
and uh, he, he did what happened. He left and he went to the touch team. And it was two years later when basically we needed, we went to see him. And, and I got him. I think after Kevin, he was probably the most successful manager we had over a period. Without a shadow of a doubt. Without a shadow of a doubt. They, they, since the days of the first cup, when we last won something, the two most successful managers we've had have been Kevin Keegan and, and Bobby Olsen. It and was it basically a shame what some of the players did to him. Um, yeah. In some ways, he lost the dressing room because of three certain young players that um, treated him with disrespect. And uh, it caused a lot of problems for him and for the club. Great tragedy. And I never forgive my own heart. I never forgive those players. And I look at them today pontificating on television, etc. They probably learned the lesson, but there were young people, probably in good salaries, thinking, who's this old man trying to teach us uh, football? But he knew everything. He couldn't, you know. Oh, he was, knew more than they would ever know. He was a fanatic at the game. He, he lived. It was in his blood. Mm. And it was just, just disappointing when it all went wrong. Just going back to this, the season that we lost the title, what for you was the turning point? Was it that game against Manchester United when Peter Schmeichel was saving everything and then they went up and scored that one goal at St James's Park? It's never one thing. You don't lose it over one game. You lose it over a period. You win the game over a, the league over a period. Lost four, three, uh, yeah, and, and yeah, these are the things you look at. You could, if you go back to a game when I had the won that game earlier on, it made the point difference. And I just basically what I look, I look at the whole season. I look, oh, we we'll lose a game, disappointed, but you got to want the next one. And I think it was not just that game; it was basically a number of games were lost. When you were twelve points ahead, though, did you? Did, did, did the board think they were going to win and it was we all planning set and done? the victory parade from Gosforth Park Hotel at Freddie Nem and the two Freddies and Douglas were booking the buses and the team were planning the victory parade. And that and then it didn't happen. They said, well, it's all arranged, they said to me. I remember that. Sorry, you just get on. We had one of them when we won the second we did. championship. Remember that? And we came to Gosforth. Uh, with, with Kevin, who had been reluctant to get on the on the coach because it was the second division championship. But, and he, were, from Liverpool, was used for just having there to win big. There were thousands out. Watching. There literally was. There was. But yeah. that, and then we were going to do the same again. And it was a bitter disappointment. It would have changed the nature of the club. But it's, it's past now. And they said, you can't live in the past. It happened. We didn't win. Move on. Hmm. Learn from the mistake. But for good, that's a trouble sometimes with the Northeast. If you live in the past, you'll die in the past. The world and life and things change. As we're doing now, in my time, we hadn't have computers. You know, it was well, bricks and mortar, man. Look today. A technology. It wasn't part of my life. I, I've got to get my grandkids to help me set up the computer. Grandkids are basically showing me how to use the telephone. But little kids there, that's the difference. And you've got to understand, football's changed. It's much faster, it's much fitter. And when you look around today, the athletes playing the game. So you've got to look at yourself. And that's why when you're looking to say, which manager shall I bring in? What shall we do? You've got to look for somebody who might say, just the ones that understand the future of the game, where it's actually going, not where it's been. You can learn from the past. But you cannot live in the past. You will die in the past if you live in the past. You had a big hand in changing football in many ways by okay. signing Alan Shearer. Um, when you first picked up the phone to Jack Walker and he said it's going to be X amount of money, was so any it was Fletcher? Fletcher basically. Fletcher always had a great relationship with Jack Walker. Freddie Fletcher. Freddie Fletcher, yeah, and uh, Freddie. 
And he came in one day and he said, Jack Walker's being on the phone. We're going to buy the Shearer. What, what, what? What are you talking about? Man United wants to buy him. But he doesn't want to sell them. He wants to give us the first chance. He wants 15 million. Put 15 million on the table. He's ours. Oh, we've got to have him. So we sat there. How much money got? What can I do? And the brewery came in and helped. And we collected the, what we needed. And we bought them. And I always remember the day we bought them. And they came to the stadium. Those 12,000, remember? Oh, absolutely. Were you expecting absolutely. that in many, many outside? Did that take you by surprise? Well, totally by the door. Inside. They came inside the ground. We let them yeah. in. I, totally. I never thought, what, what's this? We've got a footballer, you know. And basically, it was a, it was absolutely, I still, I remember, I see the picture now of the crowd there, just cheering, the excitement in the crowd. I mean, some ways it's daft. Some ways it's daft that we can actually, how can I put it, respond in a way just for a footballer, just kicking the ball around. But that's what we do. It's, it's the passion of the game. Oh, John, the passion. It? it is the, the passion, passion of the game, yeah. yeah. I know that by the time um, you got out at Newcastle, you'd stood back from running it and allowed uh, Freddie Shep and Douglas and to, put, to, to front that. Yeah. But you still actually, what a lot of people don't is owned the club. I did, yeah. You still had the yeah. shares in that yeah, yeah. period, but you allowed Shep and, and Douglas to run it. And then it come to a stage where you got an offer and got no it, it wasn't it wasn't that no it was to, it was this is where I got a lot of flack and I said to you before I'm a businessman I run businesses family businesses I'm not a global player whatever do and when you're chairman of the, of the top etc and it's only you running the family business, you've got to make decisions in my day we were all the numbers that were local millionaires Fellas that have stood on the terraces, like Jack Walker and, and, and Wigan, yeah, and, yeah, etc., yeah, yeah, and yeah, basically yeah. And invested in our clubs because of the passion. Today, that's, there's no local millionaires like ourselves to go to that. They're that all got to be billionaires. They had a billionaire. So when he came in, I'm sitting there saying, Look, I cannot compete with this man. He was putting money in, and I said, All the fans are going to say, Get your cash out, get your cash out. And I said, I'm not putting my company at risk. For the football, etc. We cannot afford to compete with them. There is no way. So I set out to bid. I said, I told them, I said, I'm selling our shares. Oh, it's hell on from Douglas and Ferry. What are you doing that for? I says, well, I, I, and I explained, they didn't say that. I says, well, I've looked ahead of you and I think it'll happen. And I was proven right. And, and, and it just, it changed the name. That was the first time, in my view, that soccer changed financially. It started to become, instead of the sport, and business it became more the business, and um, sure enough, the money coming in, etc., and the wages to the players. There is no local millionaire can actually compete. So I then set out to sell it, and it took me a couple of years from the point of view. And I got a call one day from uh, some of Ashley's people and said, well, "Yeah, well, I was going to London. And I met them, and we did a deal." And what I said, "Why do you want the club?" And they said these words to me from his team were. We want to market <coughs> the sports goods in the Far East. It would be very helpful if we had a brand in soccer, a football club, a and football Newcastle club. were a brand. So in effect, of buying it, good price, and they're going to use it to basically sell their goods from the Far East and other places. It made common sense. If we could have globalised Newcastle, I always felt we had to do that, but I never had the resources to do that. But it was for that reason. I said, that is no way. And I made that decision. I could not compete. 
Once Abramovich comes in and the rest of them start coming in, he sets a new ballpark, a new, a new level. There's no way. And I wasn't going to risk my company, so I sold out. And um, it's, I mean, from my company's point of view, I've been proved right. The game has changed, and it is changing. And it's changing in many, many ways away from the fans that generally have supported it. Because I don't know where it's going to end up. You know, we're talking about these, like rugby, we're talking about these world leagues and European leagues. And if you're not in that... You're not you're, at the races, you? are nobody. Mm. You're going to be left behind. What you, You're going to watch some local soccer anyway. And there the change is coming in. And to meet, to meet that, and if we allow all American hedge funds and the rest of them coming in, the billionaires coming in, they're going to dictate the nature of the game. They're used with it. They're thinking t- sums of money, which quite honestly, we can't even begin to count. You think about it. So to me, in a sense, it's a worrying time for football, for well, soccer. Are you at all disappointed in what has happened to Newcastle United since you left it, John? I'm disappointed in the sense that basically they haven't reached what I think they could have done. Um, I don't want to go into it, that's you. No. I stepped back out of it, and I never, I've never interfered. I've never criticised. I've just said some. I'm, the words are, I'm disappointed. I've watched a lot of games where it, the, the football hasn't been to my liking been more of a defence but that's the nature the manager will probably tell me he had to do that for the players he had <clears throat> at one point we reached what we were six or something in the league finished fifth in the which is great but it's 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 disappointing in a sense that we haven't reached the level I think probably Mike I don't know I'm just guessing here Mike made his mind up in a sense that when he fell out with the fans I think that was a turning point from his love of the club I think it basically said well when the fans really went against him I wouldn't like the, the abuse he got and I think has probably said, well, I don't need this. And he doesn't. I think the, 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 the vitriol of the fans at the time probably made him decide, that I want to get out of this. I, w- I would have got out. There's no argument. I wouldn't want to put my family up with what he had to take. Just how hard is it to sell a football club? Because obviously Mike Ashley's had a lot of flack. People are saying, well, does he really want to sell? But it's, it's not I that think, easy, I, is it? I, I think, I, I look at it now, I, I, I don't know what Mike's plans or ideas are. I'm just looking at it from myself as a businessman and how I would feel trying to put myself in Mike's shoes. Came in with the best intent. It went well for a couple of seasons or so. Then it went wrong by bringing in some of the friends, etc., from London who not really in football, I think, and not really the fans. The fans couldn't take to. And I think when couldn't identify with. I, I think when Wise came in, I think there was this feeling between Wise and the club, and it just went wrong, and it never recovered from that. And it's very difficult keeping. Yeah, PR right, and it just went wrong. And I think Mike, when he saw, I mean, the abuse when I saw in the papers, abuse on the ground, I just shook my head. And, I'm surprised he stayed. And I think, and he's probably in his heart, he just said, <coughs> "This is, I don't want this. I don't need it. He doesn't need it." And I think he probably made the decision to sell the club. And that decision probably made a few years. And he's just waiting to see. He's a businessman. He can wait waiting to see who might come along and what they're going to offer. And it has been in the marketplace, but nobody's come up with the cash yet. That he's not going to sell without getting his cash, but I think that somebody will buy one day. I think that's it's sooner it, the better, probably. Yeah. Well, if you look at basically, so it has to be the sooner. Yeah. You can't, you cannot go on. I don't think Mike would want to go on. I think he's got his businesses, he's getting into retail and property, etc. And I think that when you look at the club, I've been asked my opinion about businesses that are worth buying, etc. By friends in the past, I'd say, you know. And I've said, well, 
if you look at soccer today, and if what I'm hearing is correct, the clubs in my day were probably worth about 500 million, you know, 600 million. But I'm told now, Reid, that Man United on the marketplace today would be worth about 2.2 billion. 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 Yeah. Tottenham's probably worth about 1.8 billion. So it's at a level now which is up there, and you're dealing with a different kind of purchaser. You're dealing with funds, f countries like Qatar and these people who, yeah. and who've got the wealth to, to put in and just sort of play with it. And then you've got, and, and so you look at Newcastle, I think Mike's talked about 300 million, something like that. If you look at 300 million to buy, you're going to, anybody coming in to be near the top, and if you're coming in, you've got to have that ambition. It's no good coming in and wanting to be always near the bottom. You're going to have to invest, you tell me, how much are players today? You're going to have to invest to get a team. If you want to be in the top four, and that's got to be the ambition, if something comes in. So how you've paid 300 million for it. How much are you going to have to invest in so order to get money? Another five, six hundred million? Oh, I think without the shadow of if you want to be in the top four. But that's if you've got the cash and your numbers don't matter to you, that just takes you to less than a billion. So if you can get the top four, the value of a club will go from 1.5 million upwards. So there's a big margin for somebody with the cash to come in and if ever he wanted to sell, he would get his money back. And if you can get up there, if you get into the prem and you get into the, the championship, the money's quite different. You know, and the, and the the shares of the TV money is greater. Um, it's got it's got to be a foreign buyer, though, John. There's well, not that you, money in Britain now, is there? There's nobody. Tell me, there's nobody in the northeast. No, oh, no, way, no. Way. And and the UK. No. And the funds were not interested. It's no. it's, but there's always you know there's always people out there, who like the kudos of soccer, because if they they built a business up. And sometimes you never reckon you might have at five billion. You never fully recognised as what you've done in business. But owning a football club, you're you are recognised. So, so yes. if if you're a lot of part of life, you want to be recognised, you buy a football club. Yeah. And you might be somebody out now. I'm certain, certainly somebody would come in and buy it. I think we're a good buy at the right prices with the right ambition. But at no point, the fans don't want, in my view, want anybody to come in that's just going to basically play around in the bottom half of the league. It has to be investment in the club to take us where we all feel we need to be, and that's in the top four, the four or five. And do you think Rafa Benitez plays a key part in that? If, if a new owner comes in, do you think Rafa Benitez... I don't know. I've, I've, I've puzzled myself, basically, where Rafa would end up, OK? I don't know the man. He's had a tremendous record in the past. It hasn't gone so well for him here at the club, for whatever reasons I'm not in that. Um and I don't know what he will do, whether he'll move on. Um, what would you do at the end of the season? If, if, it's, if, you know, if, 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 if Mike still owns it and Duffer's not going to get the cash he needs, there'll come a point I would feel if I was Rafa that mm, I've got my own status to look at. Right? And I would move on. So I suppose he's coming to the end of his contract. It's probably a good time for him now to decide his future. I would guess if I was him, if, I, if you're going to get the investment from Mike, he'd stay because the, the, the fans love him here. Oh, it, he's, you know, they love him. He, he, he's, he's got this rapport with them, which is very difficult to get when you're a manager. But he, even losing games, the, the state. Had that, oh, but Rafa's got, but in, he's basically, even if he loses, they, they don't, they've never got at him. They've never sort of thing, so they, they hold him and 
awe and high regard. And that's something in a sense which is worth... It's almost unique, John, isn't it? It is. So it'd be interesting to see why he's going to go. And I've sat and wondered what he'll do and whether a new owner comes in. New people coming in will play their own game. They'll bet it. And if they're not experienced, they'll sit down and they'll take experience. But somebody coming in with this kind of money is going to know what they're going to do before they come in, I would guess. I just want to talk about some of the current day players because you signed some excellent players as chairman back in your day. Um, Miguel Almiron, I mean, he's really caught the imagination of the fans. He's, he looks a very exciting player. What, have, you, have you liked what you've seen so far? <clears throat> he's fast. I think he's got to score a couple of goals to give him that confidence. He, he seems to be making room for the other two. And he's playing a little bit back, etc. He's just bought, I don't know. You could ask Rafa the tactics, but he seems to be letting the other two, Rondon and um, Pierres, yeah. basically have the space. Uh, and he, he's fast, and he makes the openings for them. Um, I'll, I'll wait. I think it's early days. I'll wait to see. Once he starts scoring goals and gets the confidence in himself, he'll score more goals. But you have to, centre forward, you have to do that. You have got to score goals. Mm. And, and Rondon, the other one, I mean, you had the pleasure of seeing Ferdinand and there's Ferdinand in, in black and white stripes. But Rondon, Benitez compared that goal he scored against Everton to something Shearer would do. Are you, have you been impressed with, with Rondon this season? Yeah, I think basically it's... It, I don't think all of them have reached their full potential. I think what we are is that you know, we've had ups and downs and some of the games haven't been good, but this one has scored some good goals. But when I look back to basically the skill of Ginola, you know, he was something different. Andy Cole, you know, remember the song? Andy Cole, Andy Cole, give him the ball. And he just put them in. Shearer banged them away. And, you know, they just had that knack. And I'd like to see them more gold. And I, I look back on even on the game on Saturday. Great, but for an hour, it wasn't really our game. And you can't do that. And it, it came away, and it was wonderful, like the old days. And we won. We need that passion for the next few games to stay in the Premier League. That is all, that was the, we have to stay in the Premier League and it's up to the players and the manager to keep us there. They have to win the necessary points. I don't know, what is it, 40, John? Well, less than that probably, but another couple of wins, maybe three. So but if we're there, in many, many words, it's then time to take stock of where we're going to go. That has to be like basically after Brexit, the government's got to come up with a policy, etc., after this situation, we've got to know where the club is going to, going to go. We, we, we all, you can't ignore how we all feel. You know, it's not our club, but it is our club. And so we need to see, basically, what's the future of our club. If we're going to continue supporting it and not feel, oh, here we go again, near the bottom of the league, another season, etc., how are we going to go? We, we have to start and feel that we're going to go places. Now, whether that's with Mike or whether that's with the new owner, that's for Mike and him to decide. But it's still a wonderful club. It's still, you know, it's, 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 how are the lads? You know, you, you never lose it. You never lose, even now, you know, I stand like, oh, I cannot watch the match sometimes. I cannot turn away. Oh, and he misses a goal, I get to, they get a goal. And you get angry, you get frustrated, but we still come back. Do you, I mean, I'm going to guess the answer is no, but as a, a young man growing up, Watching Newcastle. I mean, if someone had said that you in a, a few decades of time will own Newcastle United, I mean, I, was, I used to tell. We used to. John, remember this one? Used to come. You got to understand this. I used to, my dad took me when I was eight. Brought me from Ashington, and I went to the match. And it was Saturday when Newcastle played at home. 
my mother's family, all the sisters, three of them, came with their husbands and their sons to Newcastle and we went to um, Waterloo Street with the cop and you got measured up for a shackle or something like that. Then you had fish and chips at lunchtime. After fish and chips, the men went to the match to get there early to stand on the popular side on the yeah. planked wood and the women went shopping. When the match finished, the women were already in the, at the, at the, the bus station the Haymarket, in the queue you got, and you went home. The next Saturday night when Newcastle was away, we went to the local cinemas. And Newcastle <laughs> was part of it. That took me, you know, went to the footwood. You're then part of that tribe. The first time you go, and you're cheering everybody apart, you're part of that tribe. And I used to stand on the plank of wood at the back, and I used to look up, and it was that old wooden buffeton. Yeah, and I used to stand there shouting, sack the board, sack the board, as a boy. Never thinking <laughs> one day that I'd be up there. It's, it's unreal to think I would, from an, I'm just a miner's son, a pit lad. I worked in a pit as a mining surveyor, and I was a coal board, and I became a charter surveyor. But I never for one moment wanted to join a football team. Wanted, it, was, it was great. I was travelling Europe. Yeah, wonderful well, time. Oh, wonderful just it times. was. It's something in a sense. I've had a, it's a wonderful time, and I think I've given something back. We built a stadium. We've got a magnificent stadium. I was going to say that stands the cathedral on the hill. Is oh, it, it, now, it's, it's it's. But you, if you get a winning team, you're probably going to have to go to about seventy thousand. Yeah. Well, you you thought of doing that before you stepped back. I did. Increasing it yet again. But it's it's funny how things go. It's it's another world in soccer. And I'll just say this to the fans out there, tell them, watch where it's going, because I think you might be excluded if we're not up there. Well, we've got to look at it optimistically, John, and hope that the entertainers comes around again. Thank you so much for talking to us and bringing us into your home. Always a pleasure, mate. Not at all, and to all the fans out there, we've got to believe. I'm a great believer. I'm a super optimist. I've been mournful at times. But you have to believe, as you said, we have to be. And what we've done in a way, the one lesson I've learned as a child, we're just custodians for future generations. It's never, never my club. I've said it before, it'll be on my epitaph, epitaph. he never really wanted to own Newcastle United. <laughs> well, we're very pleased you did, mate. Thank, Thank you, you so much for your time. Thanks again.